Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Well, it is 12.01, and that means the legal negotiation period has begun, Paul, for NFL teams dealing with free agency. Free agency itself begins at 4. Um, teams now can negotiate with players and come to terms on agreements, but nothing can be official until 4 o'clock on Wednesday. Yeah, you know, John, when I was on WFAN over, over the weekend, and Richard Neer had asked me about some of the business of how this is working out, uh, I wanted to explain to the fans there, and, and I guess I could probably do it here as well, the league calendar doesn't start until 4 Wednesday, as you said, for the 2019 season. That means anything that's happened over the course of the last week, okay, does not officially get filed paperwork-wise with the league until Wednesday. Therefore, any trade you've heard about, whether it be something that involved the Giants or did not, for example, the Antonio Brown deal with the Steelers, he's not technically a Raider. Same thing with the Case Keenum trade, the Joe Flacco trade, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of these trades are official because what has to happen? Well, players have to take physicals. That's something that's part of the league business because until a guy passes a medical with the team he's going to go to, that team can veto it and say, well, we had a handshake, we had a verbal, but the gentleman didn't pass his physical, he's damaged goods, so they go to the league and say, we're not going to do the trade because he's not fit to play. Yeah. That, there, that can happen. There are two exceptions to that rule. One, teams can release players yes. prior to the league year beginning. Of course. And those released players can sign official contracts with teams before yes. Wednesday at 4. So, for example, Eric Weddle who was mm-hmm. cut by the Ravens, he could legally sign with the Rams before 3, uh, 4 p.m. on Wednesday. Right. So and that, and that's those because, are the two exceptions to the rule. That's because after the player is signed, he's no longer anybody's property. Correct. That's yes. why. Mm-hmm. But anyone who is somebody's property cannot shift to another roster until the league calendar opens. So that's why all of this nomenclature issue, which I know a lot of people get confused about. They're like, well, wasn't the guy traded already? Well, he kind of was, but you got to wait until the, the league year opens up. And there's a reason you haven't seen any quotes from John Elway talking about trading Case Keenum away or trading for Joe Flacco or quotes from the Redskins about trading for Case Keenum. Is it because league personnel are not allowed to comment on these yeah. trades until they're official, which you'll see over the course of the show. If you want to call about a certain Giants trade that may or may not have been reported last week, we're not going to be able to comment on that until Wednesday. So just want to warn you ahead of time. Legal issues, folks. Legal issues. Has nothing to do with preference. Has to do with legal issues. Emails from the NFL have been sent, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> 201-939-4513. We'll be joined by Kentley Platt, who does those RAS scores. We were going to have him on on Friday, but then with the news that came down, we pushed him to Monday. He was kind enough to reschedule with us, and he will re- do one final review of the Combine for us and kind of go through all the scores, who came out as the best athletes at the Combine, um, and who kind of showed up and helped their value the most. Uh, Paul, I guess overall, we'll get one quick comment in about free agency uh, before we get to Ken, who'll join us in, in just a second. A good class, not a great class. I think we've seen better, but I think, as usual, we're going to see a half dozen or more Right away when the league year starts on Wednesday at 4, and we'll hear them reported before then, guys are going to start signing relatively quickly around the league. Yeah, you know, that first wave, that quick strike, so to speak, is going to involve a bunch of big names, and then there's going to be kind of like a lull, 
And then the second wave is going to hit. And then, of course, later on, there'll be kind of uh, raindrops that kind of filter in as, as you get closer and closer to the draft. But usually there are two waves, the one real big one and then the kind of big one. And then that third, again, that third area of guys who sign. I suspect, John, and, and this is a guess, folks. I don't know anything about what's going on upstairs right now because that's very secretive. And these guys are very busy doing what they do because that's their paid job. Um, I think that, that in all likelihood, based on Dave Gettleman's personality, his assertiveness, his, aggress- his aggressiveness, his conviction to do what he believes, I do think that the Giants will attempt to do something quicker, sooner rather than later. That's just a hunch. And, you know, again, whether or not he succeeds is another story entirely because it takes two people to make a deal. I agree. I think there's a good chance there'll be one big phase one signing. And then I think Giant fans will have to be a little bit patient because you just aren't able to do more than one of those. And there might not be one of those, again, if you can't come to an agreement with the right player at the right position that you happen to. Remember, the Giants have said it a million times, and Dave Gettleman has said it. They use free agency to set themselves up so they don't have any dire needs from the draft, and they feel like they're forced to sign any player uh, particular to a position that might be a position of need. All right, we will get to your calls. Matt will start screening them in about 15 minutes or so. But we're going to bring in our guest today, and that is Kentley Platt. You can find him on Twitter at MathBomb. He is the... I guess, creator and inventor and the guy who runs the RAS scoring system. We had him on last year, gave us a great combine uh, combine review of all the test scores to see who really did the best. And he's the one that told us last year at this time that Lorenzo Carter had one of the best RAS scores of all time. And lo and behold, he became a New York Giant. Kent, thanks for joining us again this year. You got John Schmelk and Paul Dottino. How are you today? Great, man. Glad to be back on. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, and we appreciate your uh, flexibility dealing with the craziness of the NFL that <laughs> that hit us on Friday. Um, let's start with this first. Why don't you give fans an idea of exactly what an RAS score is, how you go about calculating them, what the significance of them are, and frankly, where they can find them if they want to take a look for themselves. Yeah, relative athletic scores, is, I created it in 2013. I've been running it ever since then. Uh, what it does is it compares a player's uh, measurements to every player at that position dating back to 1987. It then creates a composite average, and that average is compared to every player once again, um, dating back again to 1987. And then that gives you a 0 to 10 score that tells you how good that player's athleticism is in comparison to every player at that position for the last 30-plus years. Uh, you can find me again on Twitter at MathBomb or at RelativeAthleticScores.com. Uh, where you can find a bit more of the info and all the scores. And the application itself is downloadable on Windows. Kent, let me ask you a question specifically about this year's draft. There are widespread perceptions, and certainly in in some of the, quote, top ten or top five prospects, in many cases, consensus opinions that this guy is going to be either really good or actually there there are some widespread opinions, especially about the quarterbacks. Is there a guy... In, in the perceived top 10 this year, that your RAS score says, you know what, that is a really big risk. Yeah, and he kind of took himself out of that top 10 discussion. Uh, Ja'Kai Polite out of Florida, he came out to the combine. He ran a really poor 40, ran a 4.84, and then he had a poor vertical jump. I think it was 31 and a half inches. Uh, his score ended up below average. You don't want to take a pass rusher that high if their metrics aren't very good. 
Um, but most of the guys that are projected to go really high, you know, they're they're making it in college because they're already really good athletes. Mm-hmm. Now, Cleveland Farrell, I'm going to try to break my partner's heart here for a second. Uh, he did not run the 40 at the combine, but he did do a lot of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. How did he come up from an RAS score perspective, Ken, in terms of his um, athletic score size? Because and a lot of people say great production, great technique, good football player, but maybe he doesn't flash as an athlete. Did the score show that? You know, I didn't get a full score on him because he didn't run the 40 and he didn't do all of the drills, but he did do the most important drill he needed to do, which was the three-cone. Uh, you want a pass rusher to be under seven seconds in the three-cone. That's that elite mark that you want to hit. But if you don't hit seven seconds, you better just not be bad. Uh, and Farrell, a lot of questions on tape were about whether or not he had any kind of bend at all. He looks very stiff on tape. Mm-hmm. He came out and he ran a decent he ran a decent three cone. That's all he really needed to do was just not run a bad one. And I was impressed that he even ran it. A lot of guys, when that's a question, they'll just skip it. Uh, but he ran it and he did okay, and that's all he needed to do. So we're still waiting on his pro day results, but early results are good. Let me ask you this, Ken, and again, I respect what you're doing. I just wanted to ask you, you can't measure a guy's heart, no matter how much you measure all the other categories that you measure. You can't measure his heart, his drive, his desire, the fire inside his gut. Uh, For me, that's one of his strongest parts because he showed up big against Jonah Williams in the championship game. He just manhandled him, and, and that was one of the things that really checked the box for me big time. How many times do you find that your RAS score kind of belies what you see because you say to yourself, boy, I really like that player. He's got a motor. He gets after it. And then your your RAS score says, maybe I shouldn't like him so much, but I really want to like him. You know, it happens at least a couple times a year. Uh, you always remember the guys that are your outliers, right? Everybody remembers that Antonio Brown went in the sixth round and he didn't measure that well and turned into one of the best guys in the NFL. But, you know, most sixth-round picks don't turn out well, and most poor athletes at receiver don't turn out well. See, those ones tend to stick out in your mind. Uh, but there's always a couple of guys every year. I don't really have anybody yet this year, but that, we've only had the combine. We've still got plenty of uh, pro day stuff to go through yet. You talk about the three cones for the pass rushers, Ken, and I want to stay there. Uh, everyone's talked about Montez Sweat, obviously, and I'm sure his RAS score is, is off the charts. You could talk about him. Uh, who else from that pass rushing group you think really helped themselves uh, at the Combine last week? Oh, there was a bunch of guys. We, we, the Combine is always a, a breeding ground for super athletic edge rushers and cornerbacks. Uh, but Rashawn Gary measured out exactly how he needed to uh, as a top-tier athlete. You mentioned Montez Sweat. Not only did he measure out with the best 40-time ever for a defensive end, uh, but he had a seven-flat three-cone, which nobody saw coming. As much as the 40-time surprise, yeah. well, nobody saw a seven-flat three-cone from him. Uh, Anthony Nelson out of Iowa is a guy that you're probably going to hear jumping up boards. One guy to really watch is Max Crosby out of Eastern Michigan. He ended the combine with the highest RAS of any pass rusher there. Wow. Which, you know, this is Eastern Michigan. Who's who's looking at him? Uh, but he's a guy that I'm sure is jumping right up into day two consideration. You're going to hear his name a lot in uh, the second and third round of mock drafts coming up. I want to ask you specifically about Brian Burns, who you've everyone thought he was going to test well. He's a smaller guy. How did his scores end up, given his maybe lack of size, but his very, very good scores? I tell you what, he, he came in at 249 pounds, which was pr- right about where he needed to. Everybody wanted to be at least 250. You know, we'll, we'll give him a pound, right? <laughs> uh, but he measured out as one of the best athletes ever, which is, that's, that's taking into account that he was underweight. So, you know, the, the size is factored into those grades as well, and he still measured out as one of the best athletes ever. So he checked every single box when it came to athleticism. 
How will you uh, adjust your RAS scores based on some guy's pro days? Uh, I've had many scouts say to me, well, you know, the guy doesn't do this or doesn't do that, doesn't do this at the combine. He's going to do it at the pro day. But then other scouts will say, well, we know at the pro day because they're on their home turf, they can kind of jimmy with their results a little, kind of make them a little bit more favorite, uh, favorable to what the, what the athlete wants. Uh, how do you kind of take that into account, if at all? I supplement my data with the pro day results. So if a guy doesn't run the 40 at the combine, but he does run at the pro day, I'll use those times. Uh, and there are several sites that track that information. I try to use the same source for all of those whenever I can. Um, but I, I try to just supplement with it. If there's a guy that has a, a significant variance in the results, I'll usually run that separately. His official score will always take combine information first and then pro day second. Uh But if there's a guy that has a big difference, I'll usually run that just to see what the numbers look like. Because sometimes, you know, guys have bad days. Sure. You know, um, uh, Joe Hayden had a horrible combine, and then he went out of his pro day and just crushed it. That's that's significant to me because it, it could just be that they had a bad day. Maybe they were nursing an injury that they didn't talk about. You know, there's always that chance that maybe they just had a bad day. Uh, but I only really do that if the results are significantly different. Most of the time, it's a pretty small difference. Ken, how important are these RAS scores for offensive linemen? We saw one of the major outliers of all time. I think he had one of your lowest RAS toll, uh, scores ever in or- Orlando Brown last year. Comes out, ends up playing fairly well as a rookie. He was fine. His RAS score is awful. Uh, is offensive line one of the spots where maybe the score is not quite as important as it is in other spots? You know, it depends on which specific offensive line spot you're talking about, and it also depends on scheme. Uh, I've been trying to find a way to, to really isolate the difference between the zone-blocking scheme and a man-blocking scheme and where the athleticism is more needed. Uh, but in general, if your team runs a zone-blocking scheme, you want the more athletic guys. Yeah. If it's a man-blocking yeah. scheme, you can kind of get away with the guys that maybe don't have as much lateral movement skills. Well, power's uh, more important but, there. Yeah, yeah. So the you know Orlando Brown, like you mentioned, he was he was just terrible athletically. He did do better at his pro day. It was still a poor day for him. Uh, but on the outside at offensive tackle, you generally want your best athletes at offensive tackle. Um, I've actually asked several uh, at former NFL offensive linemen like Jeff Schwartz and guys like that about what what the difference between right and left tackle is, and he said you you want your better athletes at left tackle than right tackle. Um, but guard is actually more prevalent at guard than you'd think it would be. You wouldn't think that guard would need to be as athletic. You know, when a guy doesn't measure out that well as a tackle, they're always like, yeah, throw him inside at guard. Um, the only place I've found no correlation at all with it is center. I, I haven't been able to find any athletic correlation whatsoever at wow. the center position. But it's pretty heavy outside. I feel like the further you get from center, the more important it's needed. That's fair. First requirement of a center is that he's smart. Trust me. (laughs) That's not necessarily measurable (laughs) by his physical tools. Uh, One thing uh, thing I I wanted to ask you, because, you know, I think everybody pretty much assumes that Kyler Murray may be one of the most athletic quarterbacks in recent memory coming out of the draft. I'm not going to ask you about projecting him as an NFL quarterback Remember, because he has he, no scores on him yet. He's very, he's very scheme-specific, but what do you anticipate him to wind up grading out as in your metric, given what we seem to know about him? You know, uh, everybody likes to compare him to Russell Wilson, a similarly smaller, more athletic quarterback. I think that Murray's going to probably measure similar to him, which is over the elite range. Anything above eight is considered elite range for this, the top 20% of athletes at a position. Uh, I'd expect him to be over eight. 
I don't really expect him to be over a nine because his size grade is going to pull him down. The size counts for about 20% of the average. Uh, so I feel like that's going to pull him down. The the more measurements that he does, I feel like his chances are going to go up. I think he's going to crush pretty much every metric he actually does, aside from you know the, the tape measurement stuff. Jumping back to the offensive lineman, you talked about the offensive tackles, Ken, how you want to have your best athletes out there. What offensive tackles cr- uh, crushed their RAS scores over the weekend at the Combine that you think will really help push them up boards? It was actually a pretty poor day for offensive tackles at the Combine. There was only really one guy on the outside that, that really helped himself, which was Andre Dillard from Washington State. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all the other top guys, your Jonah Williams, Cody Ford, Greg Little, all those guys had a pretty rough day at the Combine. Uh, Jonah Williams is the top tackle on a lot of people's boards, and he actually did really poorly in his agility metrics. The short shuttle, just like the three-cone is for pass rushers, the short shuttle is considered that, that big metric for offensive linemen. And he had a, had a pretty poor score there, and his overall grade was only just about average. Uh, but Andre Dillard, Dillard from Washington State, he's, he's an elite pass, pass blocker. Washington State doesn't run a whole lot, so run blocking is going to be a question. But he very much helped himself at the Combine. He's, you're going to see him a lot higher on boards than you did before the Combine. Well, let's go to another position that, uh, you know, a lot of folks do believe the Giants are looking at, besides the edge rusher and the offensive tackle, is the safety spot. And, you know, there are not a lot of first-round safeties in this draft by our imagination, John, based on what we were told from all the draft gurus. Uh, who are the safeties that stuck out on your metric? Yeah, and the two, the two highest-rated safeties didn't even measure at the Combine. Uh, Deontay Thompson out of Alabama was injured, and Nasir yes. Adderley didn't measure in anything either out of Delaware. Um, if you're looking for a guy that's fast that can hit, though, if you're looking for a more strong safety type, there was plenty of those guys uh, Juan Thornhill, Amani Hooker out of Iowa, uh, Marvell Tell uh, was a guy that people thought was going to be like your big, slow, heavy, uh, hard-hitting safety, and he was one of the best athletes at the Combine at the safety spot. So he's another guy to pay attention to for jumping up boards. If you want a guy that can fly around the field and hit people, the, the Combine showed you who those guys are. Well, I, th- I think nowadays we certainly seem to get the impression that the free safety the guy who's got more cover skills seems to hold more value in today's NFL than the strong safety type does who can play in the box. One of the reasons why there are so many veteran free agent safeties available this week. Uh, were there free safeties that you have seen that scored very highly? Not really. Um, the, the Miami guys, uh, uh, Redwine was the one of them that, that measured pretty well. You know, most of the most of the guys that are considered the coverage types came into the combine with speed questions, and they kind of left that way. Um, the, the only two guys we really needed to see those numbers with didn't even measure. Okay. How about the cornerback position, Ken? I think a lot of people consider it fairly shallow at the top and maybe a little bit deep. Uh, watching it and just looking at the numbers, just kind of flat. Watching from home, it looked like these some of these guys ran pretty well, but then. The guys that maybe people were really excited about as potential first-round picks, except for Greedy Williams, didn't run all that well. Uh, what was your take on the cornerback position, guys that either stood out or maybe you should have a little bit of pause about them? Yeah, and you, the, the, com, the, the comment is always just ripe with all the super athletic cornerbacks. They do a really good job of finding the guys they think are going to run really well and jump really high. Uh, and you really saw that at the Combine this year. The two guys that really struggled were DeAndre Baker out of Georgia, and he actually ran a decent time for what he was expected to run. I think he ran a 4.53, I think, in the 40, and people expect him to be in the mid to high 4.5s. Um, but Byron Murphy was expected to measure much better. He came in, ran a 4.55 40. 
both of those guys ended up with either an average or below Raz. I, I mean, that's going to end up hurting their value. Guys don't get drafted very high at the cornerback position if they can't run. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Greedy Williams. That was the only drill that he really ran uh, was the 40 times, so he didn't get an official score. But running a 4.37 at his size is, is pretty dang good. So <laughs> yeah. uh, he helped him out quite a bit. Yeah, I got a question. Uh, but, yeah, the, the other guys, they all ran pretty well. There weren't really any other standout negative guys at corner. Almost everybody ran well. Ken, the way I'm, I'm kind of looking at the league now, and I like to see as you study your data each year and you try to figure out what's predictive, right, what numbers are the most important. That's how you kind of figure out your scores. And the more and more time I spend inside this building and around NFL teams, the NFL to me is, is a change of direction league. That's how you make people miss tackles. That's how you create separation. And that's how you win in the NFL. You win with quickness. You don't run with straight-ahead speed. Do you find now with your metrics that the shuttle, the three-cone, those change-of-direction drills have a a bigger predictive ability than the straight-ahead speed or even the explosive jumping skills? Yeah, they can. And I know the the three-cone especially is considered one of the most important metrics by almost every team in the NFL. The Patriots famously favor that metric. And all the teams that have gotten coaches that came off of the Patriots, you know, my Lions, the the, uh, Texans, the Tennessee Titans, those guys have all kind of followed suit where the the three-cone is really that big one, even outside of the pass rusher where we already already know that it has a lot of importance. Uh, But when it comes to offensive linemen, I mentioned the shuttle is an important one. The cone goes right hand-in-hand with that. Can you move? When you're in space, uh, outside of that, it really depends on the position. You know, corner cornerbacks you want to be more explosive than agile, but if they're explosive and really bad in the agility drills, that's usually a concern. Mm. Um, for a lot of a lot of teams, it's just you know, are they are they at least not bad? And and that's what you're really going to find is it's it's more whether or not it's a liability than whether or not it's a strength. Um, the same thing with wide receiver. If you have a big receiver, they better be explosive. The agility drills don't really matter as much. But if you have a small receiver, they better be quick. They better have good change of direction skills. You know, those are the the ones that tend to really be telling at those positions. Um, it, it's kind of just flipped. If you're a bigger guy, explosion matters. Agility doesn't as much. If you're a smaller guy, agility matters. Explosion doesn't matter as much. Last question from me. Uh, we've talked about the edge rushers. We've talked about the offensive tackles and the safeties. Giants also need help at the other level of defense, which is linebacker. Whether or not it turns out to be an edge guy or maybe even somebody on the inside, who knows? Uh, there's been some debate as to the LSU guy or the Michigan guy. Uh, that'd be White or, or, uh, or um, Bush. Uh, Bush. Who should be the guy to go first? Uh, what does your number say? Yeah, they didn't do a whole lot to separate themselves. I was kind of hoping that one of them would pull ahead, and then I'd be able to say, "Oh, yep, clearly we have we have a front runner." Uh, but Devin Devin White from LSU ended up with a nine point three three out of ten, and then Devin Bush ended up with a nine point three two. So almost exactly the <laughs> oh, same boy. score. Um, I was hoping that there'd be a bigger gap there, so it'd be easier. But I guess if you're if you're looking for a gap, there's a point zero one difference between the two, so you got to give the edge to White. Finally, uh, last one for me, Ken, and then I'll have a follow up on on last year's class real quick. Anybody that you saw at the combine with the RAS score at any position, maybe wide receiver, for example, or anywhere else you're looking at, where you look at the score and teams should just run for the hills and say, "I'm not touching this guy." 
Um, yeah, and at tight end. So tight end, tight end is another position where you got to have those elite athletes, right? Elite athleticism is a huge deal at the tight end position, more so than any other position. Uh, and and two guys that really did did a, a lot of damage to their stock were Isaac Nauta from Georgia yeah. and Caden Smith out of Stanford. Both of those guys ran in the four nine range. None of their none of their metrics panned out how they wanted to. Uh, so those are the two guys that probably hurt themselves the most at the combine. Where did DK Metcalf land? Because we know about the jumps and the oh, straight wow. ahead, but then his agility <laughs> drills were awful. It's true. So how did, how did you end the balance in those out? So the, he he at one point he was contending with Calvin Johnson to have the highest score ever at wide receiver. So the, the, I told you before that all these scores get compiled into an average, and then you get the score. Sure. Calvin Johnson had one of those averages that was just never going to get touched. Right, he, his average was like a nine point seven or some ridiculous number. I didn't expect anybody was ever going to come anywhere near it, and there was a chance that DK Metcalf could have contended with that number getting getting higher than Calvin Johnson's uh, almost you know his the perfect RAS score but the, just the average behind the scenes he had a chance of beating it uh, but then he did his agility drills and dropped i think i think his final one was a 9.52 so he dropped a, a, quite a bit from back from those horrible agility drills absolutely um all right Kent we really appreciate it um Thanks so much for the time. It's always good stuff from you, and maybe once once we get figure out who's on the Giants, we'll have you on, and we'll kind of go through some of their athletic numbers, all right? Thank you. Great, man. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Kentley Platt does the relative athletic scores. You can find him on Twitter, at MathBomb. Does a fantastic job. Kind of a look inside some of the numbers at the Combine. I think we have one official piece of news, Paul, that just popped up from the Eagles. Yeah. That was from the Eagles' official site, right? So you can, uh, you can talk about that. Let me just make sure that is an official item so we don't get ourselves into any legal trouble. It was Matt. The Philadelphia Eagles Thank have uh, brought back uh, Jason Peters, uh, signing him to a one-year contract for the 2019 season. He's had some injury trouble over the years, but a multiple-time All-Pro and one of the better left tackles in the league. Oh, and a big one. Nick Foles has signed the contract, Paul. Didn't see it. He's going to rep Lululemon. It's signed? <laughs> yeah, he's put it on his Twitter feed. It's a sponsorship thing. I was just messing with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wise guy. You got him all excited. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Antonio Manhattan. He'll lead us off. It's all presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. Antonio, what's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? Is everything going with you guys? Doing well. What's up, man? So just wanted to kind of touch base on the draft. Um, If the Giants don't go quarterback on the first round, I would love for them to take a flyer on uh, a guy from my school. Um, I I would love to have Tyree Jackson on the Giants. Hopefully they could get him the third round. Antonio, Um, I'll be honest with you, I would not pick him in the third round in a million years. He is so raw. It's going to take him years to get ready to play NFL football. Years. Uh, I mean, w- but why do you think that? It's just accuracy, in, in my opinion. That it's, it's just uh, accuracy. That's kind of important, dude. It's only the most no, important thing important. a quarterback does. I mean, you you gotta no, you gotta worry about important. mechanics. You gotta worry about level of comp. There's a lot of stuff involved. Now, look, I've seen the guy do interviews. In fact, we saw him at the combine. No, he seems like a great kid. Seems like a really good kid. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm going to root for him. Sure, me too. I, I am definitely going to root for him that he makes a 53 and that someday he gets an opportunity to play too. So I'm not going to down be down on the guy. But if you're thinking about the giant situation, I don't see the fit. Well, and again, and, and Antonio, if, if he's sitting there with one of the Giants' fourth or fifth round picks, 
We can have a conversation. I'm not picking him in the third round. I, I just can't do but you it. Think, you think he's going to be in the bottom of the draft, day two pick? I do not think he will be a day two pick, no. Maybe no. maybe somebody will get desperate and do it. To me, based on his body of work in college, he is not a day two pick. In he, he's opinion. a day three pick. I agree with John. And quite honestly, okay. I might just try him at edge rusher. <laughs> wow. I don't think he's quite. I don't, I don't. I don't think he's quite that good of an athlete. No, no, no. Not that that good with the foot speed. But no. my goodness, he's got a lot of other measurables. That's for sure. No, he's a he's a big boy. He's a big boy. All right. So I got another question for you yeah, guys. Sure. At what price would you guys bring back Landon Collins? In terms I'm of sorry? a long-term deal or in terms of a, a short-term, one-year type of situation? Um, I'm sure Landon. he's going to want a long-term. He's, he's, he's a young guy. So what, at what price would you guys be well, comfortable with for the he, here, here Here's the situation. You have to know what the market value is going to be of the position. You took the words right out of my mouth. And right. th- that price tag has not been established yet. What we know is that there is a laundry list of veteran-proven safeties available on the market. Until those price tags become uh, not, uh, become um, what am I looking for? Become known. Until those price tags are known, you don't right. know what the market is. Once the market's established, now you can say, okay, this is what it's going to cost us to get a guy who can adequately play the position. Now, before the the tagging days had expired, the Giants right. were looking at if they tagged them, it was going to be eleven point two. I don't right. think that Dave Gilliman wants to spend 11.2 a year on the position. I think that's okay. that's a very logical assumption based on what you have seen to date. And so, you know, and I don't know that Landon Collins wants less than that a year. But yeah. those things are, are kind of uh, unknown right now. I, I just don't see that. I My guess is that the Giants will wind up signing a free safety in all likelihood in free agency who will be considerably less than that price tag. Who it is, I, I can't be sure. Could it be Honey Badger? Sure it could be. But, you know, we'll see. I'm just looking at the position, and um, strong safety is mostly a, a, a extra linebacker nowadays because you know, a lot right. of teams are playing that cover one high safety. Right. So, and, and just looking around, there isn't many strong safeties with good pass numbers out there. Like, you know, passes deflected or interceptions. So I was just like, man, you know what? We just had, we probably had the best strong safety in the game. But then no one's disputing that. I, well, I remember, remember to Antonio, it, right. isn't, it isn't about those raw numbers either. As the strong safety, mm-hmm. you have to cover tight ends man on man a lot. That's the challenge right. of the strong safety. You're in the box, but once you get in the box and the team passes, you have man-on-man responsibility. So that's the challenge of finding the right strong safety, a guy that can support against the run, but then also cover yeah. a tight end man-on-man. You know, it's well, clear. Guys, that, and then where do you guys think is the is a good strong safety out there? Even if he's signed, who's a good strong safety see, that, that's good with man coverage? I think you're missing the point. I think what the Giants are going to do when they sign a safety in free agency, I suspect it's probably going to be a free safety. Because it goes back to what you said a couple of moments ago, and it goes back to what John and I said last week. The the strong safety is basically he's going to play cover two or he's going to come down into the box. He's kind of got two responsibilities in today's game. But because of the pass-happy league that this has evolved into, the free safety, he could wind up playing uh, 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 one-man high, 
He could wind up playing some type of cover three. He could wind up playing man-to-man on the tight end. He could wind up playing man-to-man on the slot. He has so many more responsibilities. The free safety is, is more versatile and therefore more valuable than the strong safety is. So I think if the Giants are going to spend whatever number that they're going to spend on a veteran free safety, I suspect that's going to be a free. Would you agree, John? Yes. I, I, I Well, yeah, and, and I think free safeties are much more difficult to find because of that, you know, cover the whole field in that single high type of scenario. That's the type of skill set that I think people are looking for. As to your question, um, I think Adrian Amos – is a good player. He is. I think he's, I think he's a good player. And again, I think the point is you got to try to find, and I'll go back to what I used last week, the production per dollar. You want to find somebody that maybe you don't have to make the highest paid safety in the league, but you're going to get above average production from that player. And I think that's what they're going to be looking for. All right. Thank you guys. And I thank you for taking my call. Thanks thank Antonio. You. Appreciate it. Let's go to uh, Bash in Ohio, Matt, on line two. We'll take him next. What's up, Bash? Hey, what's going on, John? Hey, Paul. Long time no speak, Hi. Bash. What's up? Yeah, I haven't spoken to you in a while. Everything's good. I want to talk a little bit about the draft as far as I know it's a lot of talk as far as speculations as far as the quarterback, quarterback position as far as Josh Rosen speculations as far as trash and as far as trades and Dwayne Haskins. But I was trying to call as far as that trade as far as the second rounder is the last speculation as far as our second rounder for Rosen. If Rosen was the um, question was, if Rosen was in this draft, where would he rank as far as the quarterbacks in this thing? Would that be a better option to get Ro- trade for Rosen with the second round pick or going with Dwayne Haskins as far as with the sixth overall pick as far as speculation? Now, and the second question after that. Yeah, sure. No problem, Bash. Uh, uh, we'll let you finish. Uh, Paul and I talked to a bunch of people at the Combine about this, and the consensus seems to be that Haskins and Murray would rank fourth and fifth amongst last year's class. You think that's fair? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about Which means that. Rosen's would be, Rosen would be ranked ahead of those two guys. Now, here's the thing. Someone might still fall in love with Murray's complete package with his athleticism and all that stuff and still pick him ahead of Rosen. I could see that. But I think, as if, again, right now the Cardinals are not shopping him. People think they will at some point, but right now they are not, according to reports that are out there. I think a second-round pick would be excellent value for him. The, the rumors that are floating around the NFL is that he may have devalued himself so much as a rookie, despite the fact yeah, that the Cardinals did not have a good offensive line. I don't buy that. The, the, the rumors are it might only take a third rounder to get him. I don't believe that. Now, whether or not it does, right. the Giants don't have a third-round pick this year at the moment. That's a good point, too. So that kind of makes it difficult for yes. them to make a deal unless – they're willing to re- reconstruct it somehow or give up a third rounder in 2020 if the Cardinals were willing to take that. I don't know. Now, now my second question, and I take this offline. Now, if we don't go quarterback in first round of pass rushers that they have the top five pass rushers, what one would best fit our system as far as the outside linebacker pair does? Standing up outside linebacker in the defense and hands in the ground, and I take that offline. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bash. Appreciate the call. Um, it's funny. The pass rushers at the top of this draft, it really depends on the type of player you want. I mean, it really does. And I think we can slide Ja'Kai Polite out of the conversation based on what happened at the Combine, Paul. Are you on board with that? I am. Okay, so let's slide him out. So I think assuming that Josh Allen and Nick Bosa are gone, Let's make that assumption. Yes. If one of those guys are there, I think they're going to be the top guy in everybody's list. Okay? <laughs> and if somehow one of those guys drops, you take him. Hey, and, and it's possible. You never know, though. I think there's a better chance Quinn and Williams drops because tackles generally get 
slide more than ends do. Mm-hmm. So I think the group you're looking at right now in that top 10, you're looking at Montez Sweat, who I think is a pretty good two-way guy. He's strong enough to play the run. He's athletic enough to run the passer. I think his times at the combine were better than the quickness and speed and athleticism is seen on tape. But still, good player. He was considered a top 20 guy before the combine. Now he's considered potentially a top 10 guy. You have Paul's guy, Cleland Farrell, who's a bigger guy, um, not as bendy, not as super athletic, but really good with his hands, good against the run, good football player. Then you have a guy like Brian Burns out of Florida State. Now, he's your smaller edge stand-up rusher, spins, bend, get around the edge, but he doesn't have much interest in setting the edge in the run game. Not very sturdy. Then you have Rashawn Gary, who's the guy that doesn't have a ton of production. Farrell, Sweat, and Brian Burns, guess what? All had double-digit sacks. Rashawn Gary had three and a half, but he's 275 pounds, and he runs a 4-5, and he's huge, and he's gigantic, and he blew up the combine with all his testing, but where's the production? Then I'll throw I'll throw I'll throw a wild card into the mix. Maybe you want a great three technique. Maybe you want Ed Oliver, who came in at 285 in the draft and can rush from inside and can do all those those, those sorts of things. But his production's not great. So if you're talking about pass rushers, and if I miss somebody, Paul, please chime in. No, those no. are the five guys I those think are, are in the mix. And I would not necessarily go with the guys that didn't have the big time production. So I would kind of slide. I think. Gary and Oliver out of the mix, at least for me, even though their traits are fantastic. And then you look at those top three and you decide the type of player you want. It's not necessarily which guy is better. It's what do you want the guy to do for you? And that's how I look at it. If for me, if you just want the guy that's going to get the most sacks, you take Brian Burns and you don't look back. And that's me. Yeah. I, I need a guy who plays the run more and, and clear and, and a, Again, Cleland Farrell, more of a sturdy guy, does set the edge, will put his hand in the dirt, plays the run a lot better. For me, how about that's s- the guy. How about Sweat? Uh, sweat, sweat can play the run. Sweat, sweat's my second choice. Because here's the thing, and it's funny. I like Farrell the best. I like Sweat number two. I would take Burns three in that scenario, if it were me. And this is how I look at it, and maybe I'm looking at it wrong. I see Sweat as having a higher ceiling than Farrell, but I see Farrell having a higher floor. You know what I, I agree mean? with that. I think I don't think Sweat is a huge bust factor because of his length and his strength. And if you made me choose between the two today, and I'll be honest, heading into the combine and even heading into the Senior Bowl and even at the Senior Bowl, Sweat did not impress me as much as he impressed other people. When I see him win on tape and when I saw him win at the Senior Bowl, he won one way. He won with length. He gets the Jason Pierre that's Paul a big, length. That's a big deal. Gets his hand that's in there. That's a big deal. Oh, and you need length to succeed as a pass rusher. But for as good as his testing was, Paul, watching him on tape and watching him at the Senior Bowl, I never saw him get off the line super quick and just beat the guy around the edge with a speed rush. I yeah. didn't see it. Yeah. And that's what makes me think twice about him. So I honestly don't know which one of those three guys I like better yet. I, I'm sure I'll have a better idea in about three or four weeks when we kind of get through the rest of this process and I have a chance to look at more tape and all that stuff. But that's what you're looking at. Though, honestly, with Dave Gettleman's loving big and fast guys, 
I would not take Gary and Oliver out of that equation in the conversation either. You never know Understood. what traits these guys are going to like. Yeah, my personal preference, I'm going to say it now because I, I have done work on just these guys because I really like them coming out of Indianapolis. Farrell would be one for me. Sweat would be two. Burns would be three. It would be in that order, and I don't think I'm going to change that as we move forward. Uh, on the offensive tackle side, I'd have no problem if the Giants took an offensive tackle. I think, to me, Jawan Taylor is the number one pick for me. If, if, if I'm at number six and I go that way, I think Jawan Taylor certainly has a good enough grade that if I went that way, he would be appropriate. I'm going to ask you a follow-up question on that. Here's my follow-up. If the Giants had a vacancy at left tackle instead of right tackle, would Taylor still be your pick? I don't know because I've been looking at it strictly with a slanted point of view, saying that the Giants you know, are going to put a guy at the right side, and Taylor has played right in his college career and has excelled at doing it. Uh, I, I, am, I have learned and over the last few years that it does make a difference. It and does. That, and that if the guys played two, three, four years in college and excelled at that side— Let them play there. You don't screw with it. So I guess he, I guess here's my question then. And I, so and I, don't, I, I can't tell you. This I don't is, know. This is where I was trying to go with the question. And now you'll kind of understand, I think, why I asked it. If you look, And Kentley Platt mentioned this guy when we had the conversation. The tackle with the most athletic upside is probably Andre Dillard from Washington State. Yes. He's the smoothest. He's got the quickest feet. But... I haven't watched his game tape yet. David Deal has watched it. We're going to have a big meeting about it on Wednesday, and we're going to kind of go through all these offensive lines. Maybe we'll have Dave on the show. I don't know that he's a six, it. though. And here's the thing. You know? We don't know if, if he can run block at all. At all. No. If he has the power for it. Um, Not their game. He, though, I think has the potential to be the best pass-protecting left tackle. Could be. From a physical standpoint, but I got to be honest too, dude. I watched him at the Senior Bowl. He was good. He moved well. His mm-hmm. traits showed out, but he wasn't this like unmovable wall at left tackle either. Guys did beat him over the course of the week. So I'm with you in the Giants situation right now. My number one tackle on the board is also Juwan Taylor. And and if if for some reason he wasn't there, there's a mixed reaction to Cody Davis. Some people want him to guard. Uh, Cody, Cody Ford. Ford. Cody Ford. I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Some people are thinking he's going to be a guard. Now, if you like him as a tackle, the people who do seem to think he's a top 10 guy, John. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, he's, he's 330 pounds, he's 6'4", and he can move. He is a hog molly. He's <laughs> a big, big boy. <laughs> and then if you don't go first-round offensive lineman, you go to the second round, then you're looking at the Dalton Horizons of the world, the Greg Littles of the world. And I don't, I'd be really surprised if any one of Taylor... We talked Dillard maybe dropping that far before the combine. No chance now. Uh, so I said Ford, Dillard, Taylor, Edwards, Williams. Kajust. Those four those guys, guys are not going to get there. Edwards had a rough combine. Uh, I'd have no problem. Well. I know, but the, the no, body no. work at Wisconsin is solid second round. Remember, and, he's and coming could, off an injury too, which is understood. why you might make better value for him. You could. And Kajust is the same way. Yeah, and he's also very raw. Kajust is a guy, I don't know if you listened to him at the podium, Indy. I did. I did. I did. He didn't play organized football until his senior year mm-hmm. in high school. Mm-hmm. So from some of the scouting reports I've read on him, he's a good athlete, but he's kind of like uncoordinated, out of control. He kind of flails a well, lot. He, you know what needs, I mean? He needs some more polish. Yeah, he needs some polish. So, but, but tremendous tools. Yeah, absolutely. 
So those are all pot, which is why I'd have no trouble with the Giants going with the edge rusher at six because there's certainly premier value that's going to be clustered there. And then in the second round, there is certainly high second round value for that right tackle. We've just named a bunch of guys who should be there. They could easily get the edge rusher and the right tackle in their first two picks and be very happy with that. I think I think that's the blessing that the Giants have this year in the draft is that two of their biggest positions of need, they should be able to get inside the first 40 picks. If it falls the right way, it's certainly possible. There are enough names out there. Or vice versa, quite frankly, it could even happen. 201-939-4513. Scott in New Mexico is up next. Hello, Scott. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Good, Scott. How are you? Uh, Furthering your point, uh, I think it's imperative uh, that the Giants solved their issue at right tackle almost immediately. And I was thinking in the, uh, to do it actually in free agency with either Darrell Williams or with uh, Juwan James. That's an option. Because the, concent- uh, the concentration, if you look at the Giants' statistics, they're giving up more points than they're scoring in both 17 and 18. And so that would free them up a little bit more to concentrate on defensive personnel, which they really need. Because I'm a firm advocate that you win uh, the close games with defense making stops as opposed to scoring, uh, unless you're Kansas City and we're not Kansas City. So I'm wondering what your opinion was in regards to settling the issue on the right tackle in free agency rather than uh, doing it in the draft. And I like both of your selections, John Taylor and Cody Ford, I think would be admirable picks. But uh, I think they really need to solve it so they can concentrate on defense. Uh, with the sixth round pick, if they're not going with Dwayne Haskins. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. For me, the primary issue was price tag um, because we talked about, was it Prisco at CBS? Yep. Talked to us about Darrell Williams, said, said, don't think you're going to get a discount on him. And Joe Corey told us the same thing. And and so now, you know, Williams is coming off the patella uh, and MCL in his knee. So... That's going to be a concern for folks. Now, if their medical staff, whoever it is that wants to sign him, says how our medical people feel really good, he's going to give you 16 games, he's going to practice, we're not worried about him having to sit on the sideline and miss some of those reps, well, now maybe you get into a most serious conversation with him. But then again, what kind of number is he going to want? You know, these these, these offensive linemen nowadays, John, they hit free agency, they want double digits a year. Yeah, right tackle hasn't quite hit the absurd levels left tackle has, but it's, it's getting it's, high. It, it's getting there. And 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 how can you justify that kind of number with a gentleman who's coming off of injury? And unfortunately, the market is almost telling you you have to. And and that's what makes it so difficult. Yeah, given Especially, some of the given some of the reports out there today of some other rumored deals, price tag for offensive tackles is going to be hefty. It really is. It really is. So the yeah, question we'll, becomes, are you better we'll, off drafting one? Let's say Jawan Taylor, if that's the way you want to go. Are you better off drafting a young guy who's fresh out of school, who has a world of potential, a world of skills, and is going to be young and healthy, or do you tie up your cap with a guy who's already been in the league, but he's gone through injuries before? What do you, what do, you do Scott? How do you feel about it? Well, here, here's the issue. Uh, there's a rumor going around now, and it's pretty much more than a rumor, that Malik Jackson, for example, is going to be joining the Eagles. Mm-hmm. But you're, and if you have Malik Jackson and you have Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, that's quite formidable. It is. And you have to win your, you have to win your division. 
yep. uh, to get into the playoffs. And I'd like to see it being done this year as opposed to waiting two or three years. So I'm willing to take a chance on a tackle because you have to have continuity on the offensive line. Right. And that takes a while to gel. More than likely, you're going to have Halapio playing center as opposed to Pulley. And now you're going to have a brand-new right tackle probably, no matter how they work it. And well, so I, that's going to take some time for continuity, and you want to keep Eli upright if Eli is actually going to be the quarterback. So I'm gonna I u- think it's imperative that you do it at this point. All right, go ahead. Now, I just want to use your point to make another one. First of all, Jalapio and Pulley, don't be so sure that P.O. is going to win that job. I'm a big Spencer Pulley guy. I think it's going to be a competition, and P.O. is coming off okay. a year lost because of injury. So don't think automatically that Pulley is not going to win it. I think both guys will have a fair shot at okay. it. Okay, and the, and the winner should should do a good job because I think I think both of them have, have shown the Giants that they deserve the opportunity to And by to the way, if Pulley wins it, P.O. used to be a guard, so he could be that swing guard center right. backup player. He'd be a good player. backup. Right, All right, exactly. that, so that's the first thing I want to say to you. Second thing I want to say is – if you sign a guy who's had injury history, he gets you to training camp, and all of a sudden he can't take all the reps, the consistency and continuity that you want to build, which are, those things are built on the practice field. Good point. Guess what? You're not going to build it. Be right. careful what you wish for. Okay. One last question I have, and then I'll take it off, off air. Uh, as far as the defense is concerned, uh, there's a guy on the market. He's 36 years old. Uh, and the giant defense, uh, after losing Landon Collins and Olivier Vernon, they really don't have what I consider a leader on that team. Would it make any sense at all? Uh, and I know there's a lot of guys out there uh, at the edge rushers that are available. I don't know if the Giants have the cap room. But would somebody like Terrell Suggs make any sense for the Giants? because it would give that kind of leadership ability that I think the Giants need on their defense. And I'll take your answers off. Yeah, I appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for the call. Look, if you're, if you're dealing, and I'll talk generically, if you're dealing with an older player and you sign him to a one-year deal, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. As long as you're not committing long-term, multiple-year guaranteed money to a guy that's plus 35, you know, because guys can kind of fall off a cliff at any moment when you get that old, I, I'm fine with that. You basically just have to figure out exactly, you know, what the terms would be. But if you want to roll the dice on a veteran, you know, the, the Giants did that last year with Connor Barwin, brought him in from one year. And depending on what the terms are, yeah, I think if you have an older player, um, that makes sense. Paul, what do you think? I'm sorry, John. I was answering a text. What If, if you have an older player that's 35 or 36, if you're willing to bring him in for just a one-year deal uh, to help this year and maybe be a guy that would help the younger guys, would you would you be okay with somebody like that? The caller mentioned Terrell Suggs specifically. <sighs> You know, the Giants tried to do that this past year with Connor Barwin. Yep, I, I just brought that up. Yeah, and and yes, it can help your locker room. I don't necessarily know that it helps your production because at well, that point, the yes, there's, has something left. There's yeah, and and I, I I would probably not do it. I'd probably rather grow the guys from the ground up at this point after they've already made the adjustments to clean out the locker room. I think I'm beyond now looking for cleansers. I need talent now. That's J- just me. JW in Florida. J-Dub, what up, pal? How are you? Very good. Just a quick question. I'll take it off the air. I, I would like some information about this cornerback that we drafted in the supplemental round last uh, last year. 
and I just like to know, you know, what he's like and what his strengths are, and also where he would be if uh, we drafted him this year out of the draft. And I'll take your answers off the air. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. Sure. We asked that question to a few different people at the combine. We heard anywhere from second to fourth, depending on who you talk to. Right. Dave Gettleman said second. Yeah, a lot of the, the speculation was if he had stayed in school for another year and been healthy, he, how high could he have raised? He his could stock? have helped his stock up to a second round pick, which is what Dave Gettleman said. Right, and I think the the, the who I forget which one of the draft guys said he thought maybe he would have been four. That was I think that not, was Kyle Krabs. It if I wasn't right. taken into account that he could have improved as a senior. Right, he was taking him raw the year before against this class. So anywhere between two and four. I think what you have to like about him, from what I've been told from the coaches around here, studious, very, very eager and excited to play, willing to learn, good tape work guy. We know he's got some length. We know he's got some speed. I understand. For I talked to a college coach who played against him. Okay, uh, played against uh, when he was when Beal was in school two years ago, and he said. The guy, the guy absolutely has ball skills. He closes really well on the ball, and he makes plays. He said it was ridiculous. He said, when I, when I watched him play and then we had to play him, <laughs> he's like, oh, man, I knew right away this guy's going to be a top-notch NFL player. At Ben on Twitter, Giants defense didn't blow the end of games the last two years because their DNs couldn't protect the edge in the run game. They couldn't get home on passing downs. They need a quarterback-sacking edge rusher. Vernon hurried the quarterback but didn't get home when it mattered. Well... How many times have I said this past week, uh, being called up by various radio hosts, that Olivier Vernon is a Robin. He is not a Batman. He is a Robin. He needs a Batman to work in conjunction with him if he is going to provide the necessary pass rush. He had that when the Giants went to the playoffs when JPP was Batman. And then when Vernon was asked to play Batman, he could not fit into the cowl. Well, I guess the question then that he's posing is that if you need that Batman pass rusher, do you prioritize over that over a more well-rounded guy that can stop the run a little bit better in the draft? A lot of that depends on what else you have remaining to surround him. And, you know, the Giants right now, uh, they need some more help on defense than just one body. Yeah, they need multiple bodies that are good at football. Let's go to Jeff in Rhode Island. He's up next. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Hey guys, how you doing today? I'm good. Hi. Um, I got a question for you about uh, this kid I watched play some at UMass last year, uh, Andy Isabella. He's he's good football receiver. player, Jeff. Uh, yeah. Do you, is he? Um, I know you saw him at the combine. Uh, is he a draftable type guy, or is he more like a priority free agent? And if the Giants grabbed him, do you think we could turn him into our own version of uh, an Edelman? Yes. Um, Andy Isabella is actually probably a better athlete than Edelman is, to be quite frank with you. Um, he is a very, very good football player. He tested out of the house at the Combine, ran a 4 what four three one I think yeah. was his measured 40-yard yeah. dash. UMass kid. Here's, here's the trick. He's only 5'9". So yeah. while yeah. he might have the speed to play outside wide receiver, the only way he could do it is if he's someone like Brandon Cooks. Because Brandon Cooks is an outside wideout mm-hmm. with killer speed. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Jackson, same deal, mm-hmm. 5'9". Andy Isabella did play as an outside wide receiver at UMass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he fits the profile of your slot guy. Yes. I believe he will be off the board, Jeff, 
day yeah. two. I think he will be a third-round pick, yeah. maybe even a late second. Pick. And yes. most wow. people at the Combine, the first thing they said when you mentioned Isabella was Belichick and the Patriots. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, and the other thing you got to worry about, too, he got better at it this year in his final year. He had the dropsies a little bit. His hands mm-hmm. were slightly questionable. So that's something else you got to keep your eye on with him, too. Yeah, so we may not have a shot at him, and it looks like. Look, if I'm the Giants, I'm not taking him because, quite frankly, they've got one of the best slot receivers in the game in Sterling Shepard. And Odell kind of profiles that way, too, to be yeah. honest with you. That, that's yeah. that, To me, that that is not a piece that's missing here on this roster. Right. They've got oh, yeah. many right. others. You know, yeah, if, I, thought, you know if I thought they, he, I thought he might be going on a you know a little bit later if he was going to be drafted. And uh, one other thing, you uh, you think the Giants make might make any kind of a move tomorrow in regards to signing? Well, not tomorrow because the league year doesn't start until Wednesday. Uh, would I be surprised oh, yeah. if if by midnight on Wednesday we hear about a reported Giants signing? It would not surprise me. I yeah. mean, here, here's here's let me let me explain one other piece of the law here, John. Sure. How this works out. And thank you, Jeff. Appreciate the call, bud. Yeah, Pre- be you. well. You know, what you will see, and we've already seen some of the reports on the internet that such and such a player has agreed to a free agent deal with a team. The reason that happens, okay, is because the teams are not allowed to comment on any of these agreements until Wednesday when the calendar year opens. However, that does not prevent a player or a player's agent from telling someone in the media, oh, we've got ourselves a deal. And we've agreed to a deal. We've verbally got ourselves a deal. That's where we're going to go and play. And such and such then gets reported on the internet. It is a it is a legal situation that prevents a team from officially making that type of comment. But there's nothing that, that prevents an agent or a player from saying, oh, I got a deal with Team X and I am going to play there and sign there on Wednesday. So that's why you get these reports on the internet. Those have to be... Uh, identified as unofficial reports. The, the the league doesn't allow it to be otherwise. George in Florida, we got 30 seconds, buddy. What do you, What's your trade proposal? Hey Go guys. ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, how you doing? Doing well. What's up? Uh, I'm going to propose a trade, and I'd like your comment on it. Yes. I would trade Odell Beckham to the Arizona Cardinals for Rosen and Arizona's second-round pick this year. What do you think? Thanks for the call, George. We appreciate it. Well, I will once again parrot what Dave Gettleman said earlier in the year. Uh, you did not sign Odell Beckham Jr. to trade him. And if you're trading Odell Beckham Jr., in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, it has nothing to do with the Giants, I need a first-round pick back. If you're talking about a one and that player, then maybe we can have a conversation. Just remember, it is a significant dead cap hit if you trade yes. Odell Beckham Jr., which means you have to get a boatload of compensation back in order to swallow the pain of the dead cap hit. Paul, good stuff. You too, John. We'll be back with you tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live at noon on Giants.com. We'll take your tweets and take more of your calls. 201-939-4513. Presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prizes. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmuck. We'll see you tomorrow at noon on Giants.com. By the way, Wednesday, special free agency special. The show will not be at noon. We'll go live at 4 when the year league begins. It'll be me and Paul, and we'll take you through all the free agent chaos. We'll see you then, everybody. Adios.